you thought Ekmed was done. But we're back with an encore. Clearly very well planned. Soon may the editing come to discontinue the Tezo sun. One day when the seer piece done, we'll take our leave and go. Well, well, Callum. Five days of Ekmed, and you've not told me about the latest penicillin allergy update, which I know was there. Well, I think true to form, because, you know, what we're known for now is that we start at the end and work our way back. Mm. And so it makes sense that the last thing we recorded about ECMID was the very first session I went to on day one. And the most important. And the most important. Was it a whole session on penicillin allergy or was it just Jason Tribbiano talking? Because I know the Dutch guys presented their penicillin allergy guideline, which is phenomenally detailed. It was a two hour, it was first day, half past eight, two hours, how to deal with antibiotic allergy in Hall M. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's relevant. No, no, no. I wanted to know, Callum. Thank you for letting me know. So there was four four speakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They started with the... The Stanley Tucci of penicillin allergy, Jason Tribbiano. Bears more than a passing resemblance, I hope uh, Professor Tribbiano doesn't mind me uh, saying. But yeah, I've, I've heard him talk before, actually. Um, oh. I can't remember at what conference. And it, I think it was either just before or just after he was releasing the paper which uh, where he published the PenFast score. Um, it was great. Uh, so what was he saying to it? Well, he was wearing a very stylish blue suit. Um, and he talked about PenFast, and essentially it was where we are now and what we know and what we don't know. And he presented a variety of, a a huge number actually, of different studies demonstrating the effectiveness and safety of the PenFast score. And Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with this really useful score, then go back to our penicillin allergy episode, which is episode number 13 and there we talk about the PenFast score in, in more detail but essentially it's a way of of quickly assessing people with potential penicillin allergy and the safety of delabeling them yeah so the the score components are uh, the pen is do they have a report of penicillin allergy and if if yes you ask them the the fast the f is five years or less since the reaction and uh, A is anaphylaxis or uh, angioedema. The S is scar, severe cutaneous adverse reactions. That's your Stephen Johnson syndrome and your toxic epidermal necrolysis, acute generalized exanthematous pustulosis and dress. And the T is treatment required ah, the, uh, for it. Memory. Uh, and the everything I think is two points except for the T treatment required, which is one point. And essentially, if your PenFast score is less than three, so if it's two, one, or zero, your chance of having an actual true anaphylactic reaction or response that means that you shouldn't challenge them, um, it's like a ninety-seven percent exclusion in the in the validation cohort, uh, and that was released. I have five or six years ago, and I think it was in Lancet ID, but don't quote me. We'll put yeah, the reference pretty in the consistent. show notes. Pretty, pretty consistent. So, uh, but a, I've, I've not heard anything since then. Yeah, so there's so, the, presented loads of studies in different patient groups in different settings. Um, one of them was an, an inpatient direct oral penicillin challenge 
which is a prospective cohort study, and they found a 96% negative on a direct oral challenge for pens fast scores less than three. Wow. Uh, so sort of just corroborating what we're doing with large numbers of patients. Mm. And he, he had this great slide, which I took a photo of, and basically it was the evidence and gaps. And he was saying that, you know, PENFAST can be applied by medical staff, pharmacy, pharmacy staff, nursing staff. Yep. Uh, it is applicable in the inpatient and outpatient setting. Uh, he had a question mark against the emergency department, and he said that there's a study ongoing about that at the moment, which is one of those really weird things where you think like, or, I think our thinking so far has been like penicillin allergy and like historically risky. And mm. we don't want to do that when people are acute and un- acutely unwell. But then if you think about to it, like we know that beta lactams are best lactams. And when is it most important to give your best antibiotics? When the people are really sick and they're at the, the front, front door, door. Yeah, absolutely. and they've got that severe sepsis or septic shock. So really it's flipping around and saying, we know this is safe. So why are we having this potential risk of of a, a reaction, which we know is really low, yeah. getting in the way of giving people the right antibiotics when they really need it? Well, but but also we've got increasing evidence that not doing that is dangerous. Exactly. So it's like one of those things where there are perceptions of risks are like, well, we do something and cause harm, that's bad. But we kind of, we can ignore the thing like, oh, they're on VANC. So it's fine. I saw a patient today and he was telling, what did he say to me? He said that the porter had told him that that was the Rolls Royce of antibiotics and he's on vancomycin. Oh, I yuck. really wanted to be like, it's really not. Um, but it's just some of those the perceptions, isn't it? That brought well, but I mean, when I was an F1, I had that impression of Vanc. I, I don't think I said it was the Rolls Royce, but I, I sort of, you know, um, lots of antibodies get compared to Domestos because it kills all germs dead, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I'm sure I told a patient or two that Vancomycin was like Domestos. Yeah, I I knew nothing about vancomycin. Looking back at it, I was an idiot. Obviously, um, you still are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you know, the um, perception was that vancomycin was the was yeah. the rescue antibiotic. It yeah. was the big gun. Yeah, and you're safe as soon as it went back. And so it's it's almost reframing that to say like it's less effective at treating infection, and we know that. Yeah. And also, I mean, it-, it sucks. It's the ultimate drug that sucks. Apart from sucks and methonium. It was like you're seeing in, uh, I can't remember what episode of, of uh, ECMID, is that people, when people say that they are risk averse, they're not risk averse, they're litigation averse. And they don't want to do a lot of heavy thinking. And so they just, you know, default to using the non lactam antimicrobials. And, you know, who cares if it's associated with worse outcomes of the patients and more side effects and more this and more that and more the other. So yeah, risk risk averse really means litigation averse, and in the name of avoiding litigation, people do plenty of stuff which negatively affects the patient. Yeah, I I don't think anybody is is thinking. I think people, well, I believe that people think they're doing the right thing when they when they act like that. But I think the more we learn about antibiotics and the effects they have, the more we realize that broader spectrum isn't better and has harms. Mm-hmm. And the more antibiotics, you're probably causing harm as well. It's just, it's, it's hidden harms. It's very easy to be like, 
I gave someone a penicillin antibiotic and they had an anaphylactic reaction. So I'm not doing that again. Mm. And, and much harder to say, like I gave 999 other people a penicillin challenge and delabeled them <laughs> and, you know, improved their outcomes massively. Like that's quite hard to demonstrate. Well, um, that, so, that demonstrated improvement in outcomes kind of has to be taken on, you know, yeah, on we have word, to believe really. the evidence and that's yeah. why it's so good. So I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I'm advising delabeling on the phone and people are doing it. And every time I do, I'm really celebrating that with them and saying like, you just, you just saved, saved their life. You know, I don't know which person that they've saved, but if we, we switch them to bank and penicillin, that's it. Anyway, tangents off. Um, well, no, but Callum, it's not a tangent. It's like the name of the game. Like if you do that with enough times, you are going to like that's got an NNT, and the NNT is not like you know number improved outcomes and needed for rescue. Blah blah blah. It's mortality benefit. Antibiotics are the one of the few drugs where you, yeah, they're one of the few drugs where you can actually properly save a life. So, so yeah, there's a really nice slide where he's basically saying that. I think inpatient, outpatient, sorted. There's some challenges about how you deliver penicillin allergy delabeling to outpatients, but you know, is it a clinic? Is it a drop-in? Is it like a um, emergency care center? Yeah, it, it's funny that you should say that about the emergency department, though, because I, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think when I, I think of the ED as one of the main places where this should be implemented, and obviously at the moment. You know, in the UK, emergency departments are really under pressure. Mm. And it's not like EDs and other bits of the world are just, you know, sitting cool on their heels with massive amounts of time. <laughs> but the, um, you know, like the, there are some bits in the stewardship movement which would directly benefit the emergency department. You know, shorter is better, oral is the new IV, and penicillin allergy is, is bullshit. You know, you can you can take that and you can implement it in an emergency department and you can save time as well as, you know, patients' mm. lives and, uh, and money uh, to boot, you know? Uh, so so that, yeah. I think that's, he was basically saying that it's an, an, an unanswered area that they are doing studies in, which is um, penicillin allergy delabeling in the emergency department mm -hmm. and also in critically ill patients. And I'm really yeah. excited and I expect, like everything else that they've shown, that it's going to be safe there. And that could really have a big impact. There's some mm -hmm. settings which she was saying that it doesn't doesn't work. She had a cross against them. That was an intensive care unit um, and in the community setting. And I think it's just different situations. So I guess like outpatients, like you're coming to the hospital, but for like a GP or something, it's, it's quite difficult to implement. Um, but we need we need to set up services to do this. We know it's beneficial. It's just about the money and the support. And, and then I guess the other thing he was saying, so he was talking about, you know, who the stakeholders are, what the settings are. And he's talking about patient groups and was showing that there's evidence that it works in medical, surgical patients, the immune compromised host and transplant patients, mm, yeah. pregnant patients. So that yeah. was a, a new area, uh, a question mark against the critical ill. And then it doesn't work in pediatrics. So he de he presented on a, a paper which was basically saying that PenFast is not not impeded. So that's an unanswered area of practice. Is what what do we do for those pediatrics? Yeah, I guess the five years or less. Um, but it just it was just the, the, they weren't able to to demonstrate that it was effective. So, well, but I mean, it's overwhelmingly likely to be within the last five years. So that even if it's uh, it was actually a viral example all along, that will that will cost you yeah. points. That you know because you. So yeah, I can see that. Um, and then he was talking 
uh, a little bit about something called soul fast um and essentially the next step is that for sulfur allergy yeah yeah so the next step for antibiotic allergy delabeling is to take the principles of the PENFAST score and apply that to other antimicrobials and say, look, does this, can, does this work here? And presented some data on SOLFAST and showing that that was uh, similarly mm. effective in being able to risk stratify patients uh, for delabeling. And they had this really nice slide, which was the sort of PENFAST and the SOLFAST score going from zero to five and then sort of what you did so zero being very low risk one being very uh, very low risk as well two being low risk and then three up to moderate risk mm. direct oral challenge for zero one and two and then moving on to sort of more complex skin testing etc from mm. three upwards and then he was talking about what treatment you, you could give so even without with, with, with the delabeling done you could give any beta lactam antibiotics to people in zero and one a non-cross-reactive beta-lactam, so those in two and three, um, and so like cephalosporins safely. Mm. And for the sulfonamides, he was basically saying that even if your sulfast score was two or three, which is it's pretty, pretty translatable, you could still give dapsone. So that's something that we worry about quite a lot because dapsone's in a sort of similar family to the sulfas, but trying to say like, actually, this is safe. Yeah, yeah. Um... I don't know that a lot of UK people will have actually used Dapsone, but uh, like people may be familiar with a patient, particularly older patients, saying I'm intolerant to sulfur drugs. And what's a sulfur drug? It's um, it's sulfonamides and things that are like sulfonamides. It's not stuff with a cell phone ring, although all sulfonamides have a cell phone uh, ring, but so does stuff like fruzamide, and they they don't they don't really cause this reaction in the way that other sulfur drugs. Uh, do but sulfonamides were this class of antibiotics of which the only survivor really is the sulfamethoxazole component of of cotramoxazole, and that's a shame because cotramoxazole is a really bloody useful antibiotic, particularly in the elder uh, elderly population. You know, it's not very cetogenic; it's broad spectrum. It's well tolerated in the in the nine sixty BD dosage. But some people have this label of, you know, uh, sulfur intolerance, and how do you get around that? So it's interesting that the next thing he's he's applied this to has been the uh, the self drugs. And as yeah, you I'll say, that's so another for, for sulfast um, and put it in the show notes. But yeah, that'd be great. So and as you say, dapsone is another sulfur drug similar to sulfur methoxazole does the same thing, and, and that's why sometimes you you might see in the treatment of PCP. Dapsone is, is paired up with trimethoprim. Um, they're trying to replicate that sort of two-stage um, thymidine uh, inhibition that you get with... Uh, Smell of a sulfonamide yeah. episode coming on. Um, the So that was his talk, and I, I, it was really well presented. It gave a really good overview. I, um, I'd i been thinking about penicillin allergy and, and, and doing some talks on it recently anyway, so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't entirely new to me. Yeah, you've really started evangelizing it out yes. into the other departments in, in NADOSH. Yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about because I feel like you can come in, a lot of people have pre-held beliefs about it, and it's one of those, few, you know, you can be like, this is why it's important, mm. and this is the evidence to say it's safe. And this is how you do it. And there's not many things where you can come in and people don't know anything about it, really. 
or, or maybe have heard about it but don't feel confident and you can le- leave the room being confident that they're going to go out and it's maybe change their practice and yeah. actually like yeah the, there's been a couple of people who've got in touch and been like you know we went to that talk and then we had this patient and then we delabeled them and it was much easier i was like well great job done so very satisfying I, I think a lot of the time all the um they people need is the 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 reassurance from you that it'll that it'll be okay and that we won't rat them on the knuckles if it goes wrong do you know what i mean like because we don't have immunologists in every hospital you know certainly in in scotland we don't and uh, that means that the sort of like management of allergy tended to fall onto like infection specialties and up until relatively recently we would penicillin allergies would go completely unchallenged yeah just say okay now it's still i think more often than not it still goes completely unchallenged i feel like i'm a bit of a a maverick a maverick no i i feel like i'm just on repeat i think i need to record my like little statement that i give on the phone and everyone someone says there's we did we put it in the podcast episode episode whatever yeah, but just that little like tape recorder or something I put up to the phone, and then when someone says penicillin allergy, it's just me and recording saying, "Or if you watch the nature of the penicillin allergy, where you can find the guidance on our guidelines." You know, you know, it just sometimes I do feel like a bit of a broken record talking about it, but I mean, I think it's important, and I think that when you, I, I think the the next thing that I was going to do before I CCT'd and and, and left was what you're doing now is that we were going to go out into the departments and say to people individually, not individually, but sort of, you know, as a big group, you know, like all the urologists and all the this is and all the that's like, hey, here's the evidence. This is better for your patients. It's really easy. Why don't you do it? And if you if you want to query something, just give us a call and we'll give yeah. you support. I think that's a so, great way of doing it. So that was it. the first talk from Jason Trubiano. Uh, there was three other talks. So the second talk was Suspected Allergy to Non-Beta-Lactam Antibiotics by Catherine Schroeder-Hoffmeyer from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that she she's an allergist. And she gave a really in-depth talk looking through all the... She, at the beginning, kind of caveated it with being like, this is the tricky, to- tricky topic, topic uh, compared to beta-lactams. And went mm. through basically all the... All, all the other antibiotics and talked about like what the nature of hypersensitivity is, you know, how is it, how is it working functionally in terms of the immune system? How, how, what's your basic immune response like? What are the risks factors? So one thing I took away was we use quite a lot of macrolides. So the clorpromycin, rifromycin, zifromycin, um, hypersensitivity is relatively common with these. You quite often see people getting a rash, clorpromycin or urticaria. Cross-reactivity is actually only about 20%. Um, Between all three of them? or um... Yeah, I just didn't specify. And skin tests are of not great importance. Um, apparently, HLA-A0207 is a risk factor for hypersensitivity to clorpromycin in Han Chinese population. Did not know that. Okay. Um, so... so that means really if you encountered a patient that had like a rash with Clary, you, you could maybe try them on azithro. Yeah. As a as an alternative, yeah, I think I think that was that's a reasonable um, alternative um, to to go along as long as it wasn't severe. I think mm-hmm. there's a space here for some something like um, Ma- MacFast, 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 yeah. And I'm sure well, Professor is. Trubiano's listening. I'm sure he'll be uh, overjoyed to have us uh, give him homework. 
he shouldn't be listening to this podcast. He should be going off and doing the the, the good work that he's doing, and um, give us more papers. So um, we'll eat them up. Uh, it was a really great talk. Um, I didn't um, I didn't understand all of the immunology stuff. It's something I really struggle with. Mm. And but uh, she did <clears throat> talk about um, mass related G protein coupled receptor MRG PRX two. And the only reason I can say that is because I'm reading it off a picture I took of her slide. And um, essentially, a non it, it basically she was talking about non immune immediate drug hypersensitive reactions. So what we would have called called like red man syndrome with, with the glycopeptides or vancomycin. Um, but we need a new name for my yeah, but that, that's just direct stimulation of the mast cells causing release of histamine. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. Rapid transient release of unstable granules with low content of inflammatory mediators. Um, and she said it's clinically indistinguishable from an IgE reaction. Mm. Um, so it's really tricky. Um, you know, I think I think the the proper name for that I would propose is vancomycin, vancomycin infusion syndrome. Because I think as soon as you use the word reaction, people and I I know some people I've spoken to are like, oh, I don't I don't give glycopeptides if they've had a if they've had this, and that you know I find that really odd because it's like it's not an allergy, and I think the new proposed name was vancomycin infusion reaction. But I don't think the word reaction is helpful because as soon as people hear reaction, they're like, oh, I think saying syndrome is probably more helpful. But you can get that fluoroquinolones as well. I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. But um, mm, yeah, yeah. I, IV quinolones are more dangerous than they may appear. Um, and not just because quinolones are. And this harks back to the issue with, with using these non-beta-lactam antibiotics that we see all the time. It's like. You know, say you've got the penicillin allergic patient, they go to their pre-op assessment, that's identified, not challenged, we need to change that. And then they go to, to, to their operation and they get their, you know, surgical prophylaxis. And instead of a sort of cephalosporin, which probably would have been safe, they get a glycopeptide and then they have an infusion reaction or infusion syndrome. And then it's like, oh, it's really tricky. And the rates of of allergic reactions to the non-beta-lactams is higher than the beta-lactam. It's like, it's, it's crazy that we're doing this. Um, Have you seen that um, paper that just dropped on Twitter uh, comparing kefazolin to, yes. I think it was clindamycin or something else, and the, the in, in penicillin allergic patients this is, and their in side effect rates are, yeah, yeah for, I think it's orthopedic surgery, and the, the side effect rates are higher in the non-kefazolin group. Yeah. Um, which I think is and kefazolin has much. They had, yeah, lower rates of reaction and much better, like lower rates of surgical site infection. Mm. Which you know, it's just it just adds to the the mounting pile. You know, it's like we're building a cairn at top of a Munro of rocks, um, just to get the token Scottish reference into the podcast. Um, <laughs> so you know, the rocks are being carried up, and we're, we're making this mountain higher and higher. Um, mm. So yeah, that was a really useful talk. Um, a bit more complicated. Because PenFast, I think, is really simple, and that's important. And this was this is really good. The first talk was prescribing kefalosporins to penicillin allergic patients by mm -hmm. uh, Marina Atanaskovic Markovic from Serbia. Um, and really, she was delving into her, her assessment of of that cross reactivity stuff, which we've mentioned before. But there's an MCRIT page on penicillin allergy, which is just really good at laying out. And, and thinking about it, I think resetting your brain away from penicillin allergy, which is 
all beta-lactam antibiotics and, and carbapenems? No. Uh, and, and instead being like, you know, what is the relatedness of these antibiotics? You know, even within the cephalosporins, it's quite a heterogeneous group with different side chains. And um, we we need to be clear about what the nature of the allergy is. And that that's going to be really difficult to get that sort of behavior change going, I think. So, you know, I think that was a really, it, it was a great talk. I, um, I I can't remember much more about it because it was now like a week and a half ago. Oh, yeah. But the last talk really segued well from that. And that was Mark J.G. DeBoer. I can't remember his role, but he was, uh, I think, a microbiologist or infectious his doctor from the Netherlands and has, and had led, and this is amazing. And like, really check this out. Um, the Dutch have produced a national guideline on antibiotic allergy. So not just beta-lactam, but other ones as well. And there's 200, I want to say 13 pages. It's huge. And you can get it. You can just download it from their website. So yeah. Lincoln. It, it's and honestly, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's, wow. You're just reading this and you're like, this page is brilliant. Oh, this page is brilliant. And, you know, there's there's other guidelines which are shorter. And it, it is a lot. There's a lot of information there. But what I see that is, is like, this is someone who, this is a group that have gone through all the evidence, gathered it up, packaged it, and then they've laid out the rationale and they've presented some of the information in a way that's very digestible. And they yeah, answer that sort of Kefalosporin yeah. cross-reactivity question. Yes, they really well as well. So the, like the... I can't remember what table it was, table 11 or something like that, but it was um, it was the like that table that was in the Internet Book of Critical Care, the MCRIT uh, label of cross-reactivity, and but it was just a little bit more detailed, you know, and they were talking about the, um, you know, the R1 sidechain, which is the main sidechain that causes cross-reactivity. So, for example, between cephalexin and the aminopenicillin so penicillin and, and amoxicillin and ampicillin and then there's like another big group which is all the third generation cephalosporins they all have side chain homology and then the other big the the pair that i know about is astreanam and keftazidine um have a uh, an identical uh, r1 side chain but there's also theoretical cross activity with the r2 side chain and uh, so they they list that with a, a separate sort of color coding, um, and then they've got something else reported cross reactivity between. So like say the carbapenems, they're all they're in a little sort of gray group um, together. But it really kind of shows you how separate one thing is from the other, um, and it's just presented in this really easily screenshotable and put into your local guideline kind of way. And when I, you know, I see a 200 page guideline like that, that's, that's so well written and, and kind of well, well done. I, what I think that is, is that's a guideline that you can base your local guidance on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I think they, they mentioned briefly, cause like, obviously that is a, a national guideline, but I, I, there was a strong hint that ESCMID would be coming out with something based off that. I think maybe maybe it will become a European guidance because it's one of those things where like if someone's done a really good piece of work, then why mm. why do your own? Like, just just agree with it and say like this is great. We'll use this. Thanks very much. Yeah. Um. But it also comes onto slight something that you know in in, in um, uh, Prof. Triviano's talk, he did mention you know he talked a little bit about the other part of the assessment that goes along with PenFast you know, the, the penicillin allergy history taking and a checklist and how do you know, 
you know, we talk about severe cutaneous adverse reactions and like, how do you know if they had that or not? And that sort of stuff. And they had a, they had quite a complicated looking flow diagram and a series of questions and stuff that they presented. One of the questions from the audience was, can you make this more simple for us? Which got <laughs> laugh because obviously the sort of king of uh, making things simple for us. So, but we just want it more simple, damn it. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much what to say. Um, if you haven't looked into the other penicillin allergy episode, um, go back and have a listen to that. Uh, you must go now and read all 213 pages of the Dutch guidelines and email in as your summary. Mm-hmm. Um, that that work is due by next week. If you could um, get that into one flowchart, that would be brilliant for me, both me and Cal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I think that the, um, the the Dutch guideline, I think, will hopefully galvanize, you know, other other places to do, do the same thing because they've they've published it. You know, they've, that, that cross-reactivity table, they've published it, which means that you can sort of, you know, take it and quote it and all that and roll it into your own guidance. And, you know, I, I really hope that ESPID do something, either do something similar or adopt it as theirs. I don't really know why, um, why they wouldn't, you know, but that would lend a sort of seal of approval that could lead to its Europe-wide adoption. That just sounds like an unalloyed good. So let's not talk about this anymore because we could talk about it forever. But that was just a little bit of extra stuff. I think it just became came to the end of editing all the Ahmed stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorite talks. And we've, nobody's mentioned it. And mm-hmm. I think Rob asked me about it in the very first bit. And I was like, well, well I thought you were going to talk someone. about it in episode one. And you're right. Rob did ask you. And you... <laughs> I felt so bad for Rob. Rob, if you're listening, I felt bad for you. I totally. No, no, no. It was good that you chatted about it. Like, I, I, I'm so... I'm saying that I didn't get to go to Ahmed, but I mean, this is, this is the trials and tribulation of being a dad is that you can't just up sticks and piss off to Copenhagen for four days. Yeah. But like that talk, like that and the Arkea talk, that would have just made my, made my conference, you know, like I would have loved to go um, uh, to there. And I had no idea those Dutch guidelines were coming out and they're just so good and so useful. Yeah. So I hadn't been, you might not have been aware of them or you would have seen them on Twitter maybe. I, I saw them on Twitter, and I was like, "Are these being released at Espen?" And of course, they were. And it just made me all the more jealous of you, Cal. I'll be honest. Yeah. All right, Cal. Thanks for taking me through that. See you in two weeks. Okay. Bye. Now that the episode's done, we hope you learn and had lots of fun. So go forth and treat people with some of what you now know.